Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. It's such a great thing that you joined us for this episode of This Week in the Word. We're talking about living counterculture between two worlds. Living counterculture means doing good in an evil world. It means I'm just passing through on my way home to heaven. It means that I'm living for the world to come. I'm not living for the world I'm in. I owe the title to John R.W. Stott, a great theologian and author. He wrote a book, Between Two Worlds, about uh, 30 or 40 years ago. Great book. But I liked his concept that we're standing with a foot in two worlds. We, we live in this world system, but we also live in the heavenly kingdom if we're Christians. We are caught between time and eternity, between the physical realm and the spiritual realm, between the present and the future. You know, sometimes I remind myself, no matter how long I live, all things must pass. And a hundred years from now, Nothing will be bothering me. <laughs> I will be completely fulfilled eternally in Christ. Each new day brings the believer in Christ one day closer to heaven, either by his own personal death or by the rapture of the church. Sometimes, though, it's discouraging living in the present world. And I want to quote a message series title from the late, great Dan DeHaan. He had a series entitled, Hangeth Thou In There, O Baby. Sometimes we just need to hang in there. Now, you know, even though I go about my daily task, my bags are already packed for a sudden, unannounced departure. And by that, I mean the rapture of the church, when Christ takes the church home. But I could also have a sudden unannounced departure in my personal death. I don't know that I'm going to be dying soon, but if I do, in Christ, I'm ready. My bags are packed. Now, my life and my service, they're filled, they're empowered by knowing that soon I will see Jesus. And that soon is a, a very um, relative term. In comparison to a hundred years or a thousand years, pretty soon I'm going to meet Jesus. Even if I live many more decades, they will go by in, a, in the blink of an eye, and soon I will meet Jesus. The other thing I've got to remember living in this present world is that this world may reject me, it may hate me, persecute, persecute me, imprison me, or even kill me, but it's okay because I know that either way, I'm going to be with Jesus. I'm reminded of a missionary who returned home after many years on the mission field. He arrived by ship, but on that same ship was a returning king. Of course, the king was honored and welcomed, brass bands played and huzzahs and all that kind of stuff. But the missionary wasn't even noticed, and indeed he was forgotten, ignored. He was feeling pretty down until he remembered that he wasn't home yet. And when he did arrive home again, he too would receive a kingly welcome.
Well, that's what I live with in my mind every day as I go about my task. And I invite you to live the same way. Now, in the book of Titus, we've seen that right doctrine, and and we're going to see this today, right doctrine produces righteous deeds. We've seen words like that we are to be sensible, and that means to have spiritual common sense, spiritual self-control in our life. We are to live by sound that is... uh, uh, literally hygienic teaching, you know, clean teaching, sound doctrine, and that produces in us that which is good and the good works. And we live in light of the rapture of the church. And for the believer, that's not like judgment day is coming. We know we'll give account to the Lord, but it's more like an awards ceremony where we will meet him face to face and he will reward our service. So we look forward to the rapture of the church. But in Titus 2, let's read that Bible passage we're going to be in today. I'm going to go all the way back to the first verse that we started in last week. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The aged women, likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Likewise, excuse me, verse 6, Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded in all things showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Now, did you notice there in that passage that uh, starting in in verse 11, he talks about that the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men. And that grace of God does something, by the way, in verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, those are are, uh, uh, strong passions, worldly passions. We should live soberly righteously and godly in this present world. 
looking for that blessed hope. That's the rapture of the church and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's, that's Jesus is God. It's right there, clear as day. Verse 14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people. That is a, a special people zealous of good works. We, we are to be uh, energized, excited about doing good works. Then in verse 15, Paul tells Titus, who's there on the island of Crete, to straighten out problems in the church. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. In other words, he's been commanded, and like John Maxwell said, when you're given command, take it. So Titus is to be authoritative. He's been commanded this, and he's to command it. Because Paul says at the end, let no man despise thee. He is to enforce this in the churches. Have you ever heard the old American Indian saying, what you are speaks so loudly that I cannot hear what you are saying? It's the idea that, that someone's behavior doesn't match their words and therefore they appear hypocritical, that should never be true of Christians. Now I want to teach you something today that you might have, maybe you've read over it, but it, maybe it didn't register, but I want this to really register with all true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ today. Back in the Psalms, in Psalm 119, the longest psalm in the Bible, Psalm 119, verse 68, we read, and it's, it's the writers talking about God. Thou art good and doest good. Teach me thy statutes. And then in Acts 10, verse 38, referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, we read this, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Did you notice there that God is good and does good? Did you see that? And then we see in Acts 10, 38, I believe alluding to this Psalm 119 verse, that Jesus went about doing good. Well, we're to be like that too, as true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ we are to do good, not to be good for nothing. Now, I want to tell you, in the, our day and age, if you go about doing good, I mean, truly, genuinely, and I don't mean doing it so people say, man, look at that guy, look at that gal, you know, be, bringing attention to yourself. That's not what we're talking about. But I mean, if you quietly go through your life doing good to bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ, that's definitely living counterculture. No doubt about it. Because the world does not do that. Whenever the world does something, they make sure the TV station is there to film it, you know, so that they can get credit and brag on themselves. Well, while we await the rapture of the church, that's the blessed hope of the church mentioned in... Uh, uh, Titus there in verse, uh, can't always remember my verses here, in verse 13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. 
It is is the church awaits the rapture of the church. We can be the special people of God who are a blessing to other people. I mean, that's awesome. And if you want to stand out as exceptional and you want to point people to Jesus, just go about doing good works because it's so not done by most people. I hate to say it, but I feel like a lot of Christians don't even major on good works. Now, by the way, let me be clear. We're not talking about, quote, doing good works so that you can somehow get into heaven. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the people who truly are in a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ right now. They are trusting him as their Savior and Lord. They're already going to heaven. That's not in doubt. They're going because of Christ and because they've been born again, trusting in Christ. But as they await the time to go to heaven, either by their personal death or the rapture of the church, they are letting Jesus live in them and good works flow out of their life. Now, let me give you some examples. The sink in your kitchen that needs cleaning, sir, teenager, older child, clean it. Just do a good work already. And I guarantee you, mom will notice it after she awakes from passing out that somebody else actually cleaned the sink. That's a good work. Ed, are you sure that's a good work? It doesn't sound very spiritual. It helped your mom. It helped your wife, right? It's a good work, especially when you were motivated to do it out of love for them, and that's the love of God placed in your heart by Jesus Christ. And uh, let me give you another example. If the trash at your office is flowing over, maybe you got one main trash can, everybody's contributing, but nobody's emptying it. Hey, empty the trash can, put a new trash bag in it, and your non-believing co-workers will notice. <laughs> if the Lord points out a family to you in need of new shoes for their children, buy them a gift card for a, a local shoe store, and let's get shoes on those children's feet. I guarantee you those kids will notice it may even be something the Lord uses to bring them to personal faith in Jesus Christ. When John Wooden was coach of the UCLA Bruins men's basketball team in the 60s and 70s, he won eight national championships, or teams won those, eight years in a row. I'm not a big basketball fan, but I'm pretty sure that's a world record that's not been broken. Now, he taught, all of his team, especially the freshmen, to do this. When somebody passes you the ball during a game and you take a shot and score a basket for the Bruins, the next thing you do is you point to the player who passed you the ball. One of the clueless freshmen asked him, Coach, what if he's not looking? And Coach Wooden said, I promise you he'll be looking. That's a great example of doing good works. Now, what about this blessed hope? Well, Titus 2.13, 
is about the rapture of the church. And there's so much, if you don't know about this, so much you need to learn about the rapture of the church. It is a doctrine from the Bible, first of all, and it is from the first century, the very start of the existence of the church. It was not something that was created in the 1800s, as some people say. It's not uh, a, uh, quote, secret rapture. It's not anything the critics say. It is a Bible doctrine. Unfortunately, some of you listening attend churches that never, ever teach about this or read from the passages where it's mentioned, or if they do, they explain it away and it doesn't have any real impact on your daily life. Well, the rapture of the church is a massive New Testament Christian doctrine of the church. I don't have time to explain it all today. I'm going to invite you to listen to future trends on This Week in the Word, or maybe to the Great Rapture Debate, and you'll learn a lot more about it. And there are several standalone messages that relate to the rapture of the church, the tribulation, the return of Christ, and last things. Okay, so there's your homework. It's all set up for you, but you've got to do a good work and go listen to it, all right? But what I am going to do is I'm going to read three passages to you from the New Testament that talk about the rapture of the church. The first is, is quoting literally the Lord Jesus Christ on the night of his betrayal, his trials, his crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection that followed after that. So on the very night he was betrayed, Jesus teaches in John 14, 1 through 6, this happy truth. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Then in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 to 58, you've probably heard this quoted at graveside ceremonies of funerals, but you probably, possibly never knew what it meant. Paul writes here, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. 
O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And then 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18. This is considered the, the primary passage relating to the rapture of the church. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, here's how I think God can and will use our good works and the rapture of the church after our death or after the rapture of the church, how he will tie it all together to reach a lot of people. And by the way, a lot in the New Testament, good works are, are tied together with the coming of the Lord. That's very interesting. And you can read the New Testament and you'll notice that as well. Here's what I think can happen. Unsaved people are left behind after I die. So let's say I die. There are people left behind, still living, obviously, who know about my life. And after the rapture of the church, there'll be a lot of left, uh, lost people left behind. And the imminent, that is, it can happen at any moment, the imminent snatching away, that is, the rapture of the church, that's where it says caught up together with them, the imminent snatching away of the bride of Christ, the church, to go to the marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven, while the awful 70th week of Daniel, the seven-year tribulation is unleashed on the world, while, while we're in heaven, many of the lost are left behind and they will remember the Christians they knew and how they did good. They spoke often of Christ and the rapture of the church. They spoke about Bible prophecy and lo and behold, it all happened just like they predicted. You think we'll have their attention then? Yeah, we won't be here, but their attention will be on who we were, what we taught, and what has just happened. 
especially after the rapture. Can you imagine how many people will realize that it was all true and they're living in it and they definitely need the Lord Jesus Christ? I think that certainly is a way, an aspect of the way that the Lord can use good works being tied together with the rapture of the church. But, you know, the rapture also serves another purpose. If Let's say you're on a sports team. Your team wins the championship. You personally had a good year as well as a player on that team. And you can't wait for... You can't just can't wait for the awards ceremony, the awards banquet, because you know your team is going to be lauded and celebrated, and you're probably going to win some kind of honor for the effort you put in. That's kind of how I look at the rapture of the church. Many people who don't understand it, and they don't understand their position in Christ, they don't fully understand everything about being united with Christ, they probably look at the rapture as like, oh no, judgment day. And that's not it at all. Now our works will be reviewed. They will be judged and will be rewarded or awarded, however you want to think of it, rewarded according to the quality of what we've done. But you know what? I think if you're a true believer in Christ, you're letting the Lord live through you and you go about doing good just as the Lord did in his earthly ministry there's going to be a lot that he will be very happy to reward. So that's my challenge for you today. As we wait on the Lord to take the church home, let's be about doing good works. Maybe you're listening today and you're not a Christian at all. You need someone to talk with you in depth about becoming a Christian. Or maybe you have other spiritual questions. Write this phone number down, 888-537-8720. One more time, 888-537-8720. Call that number and you will get the help you need to become a Christian or to grow in your Christian life. Thanks again for listening to God's Good Word uh, as shared through this week in the Word. I'm Pastor Ed Hill, host of the program. I want to invite you and urge you to subscribe to the broadcast. Hit that follow or subscribe button, and you'll be reminded every time a new episode is posted. Also, share this episode with others that they can begin to grow in their knowledge of the Lord by listening to this week and the Word. God bless you is my prayer. Have a great week. Bye-bye.